Over the last four years, the Trump administration has creatively used the US export controls and sanctions regimes in the name of national security to further its foreign policy goals. Today's episode is the second part of a two-part special where we discuss the implications of a Biden administration on key aspects of US rules and regulations affecting US-China business and investment. If you haven't already, make sure to listen to the first part featuring Jeremy Zucker and Yang Wang from Deckard, where the focus was on US-China foreign direct investment and M&A flows. I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law & Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. In today's episode, you'll be hearing from two leading lawyers in the US-China business and investment space who will be share their insights on US export controls and sanctions, and what they could mean for the disputes and compliance landscape moving forward. First up to discuss more on the regulatory side of things is Benjamin Koscheba, a counsel in Hogan Lovell's Hong Kong, Washington, D.C. office, who specializes in international trade law with a focus on the Asia-Pacific region. Before joining Hogan Lovell's, Ben served as Assistant General Counsel at the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative from 2011 to 2015, where he handled U.S.-China disputes and negotiations, World Trade Organization disputes, and free trade agreement negotiations. Ben, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We saw during the Trump administration, export controls and sanctions emerge as the primary tools for furthering U.S. foreign policy goals. The main ones being an aggressive approach to protecting U.S. technology, leveraging leveraging the the, the well-established export controls regime uh, to impose a range of restrictions on uh, export of U.S. technology to Chinese entities. Um, and we also saw human rights become a major factor in policies towards China, especially over the last years. Or over the last year, with sanctions being imposed on, on Chinese entities for alleged human rights abuses in Xinjiang as well as in Hong Kong. So, Ben, do you expect these core drivers to continue driving the export controls and sanctions regimes under the Biden administration? You know, I think we have seen a very uh, contentious election, and it uh, appears as of today, November 12th, that uh, Mr. Biden is going to win and that the uh, legal challenges will um, will fade away and that we'll have a new president come January 20th. And uh, with that, I think we will have a new process approach when it comes to the U.S.-China relationship. But in a lot of ways, the politics and the policy that has driven uh, the Trump administration's approach to China will remain the same. And as such, we may see fewer changes to the U.S.-China relationship than perhaps one would expect given the stark differences between uh, President Trump and Mr. Biden's uh, foreign policy background and their goals. Uh, You know, in Washington, we can always think of uh, policy being divided up into policy, politics, and process. And, uh, you know, Mr. Biden clearly uh, is a old school foreign policy hand, and he wants to return to multilateral institutions and working through allies. Uh, My suspicion is, though, that it will be very difficult for him to roll back any particular areas without there being uh, him as we say in uh, negotiators, getting paid for it. And so, you know, if he was to say, want to roll back tariffs, uh, tariffs that he has been critical of throughout the campaign, he would need China to give him something for those, um, those tariffs to be rolled back. Because if he doesn't, and he simply moves away from existing policy towards China, he could be criticized from both the left um, and the right wings of American politics for not being tough enough on China. And I'm sure that's something he wants to avoid in his first uh, few months in office. 
Right. So perhaps companies and lawyers can expect a Biden administration to basically have the same overarching policy goals towards China uh, when it comes to export controls and sanctions as the Trump administration. Um, but what about specific tools that are used or specific methods? You know, we saw the Trump administration use the entity list a lot uh, to basically ban U.S. suppliers from dealing with certain Chinese entities, most notably Huawei and, and ZTE. Uh, we also saw the Commerce Department tweak um, specific export control rules, for example, for dual-use technology exports to China. Uh, so do you expect a Biden administration to kind of go uh, use the same uh, tools that the Trump administration did? I do think those will continue to be used. I think the export control laws, um, uh, the entity list, uh, sanctions, and the general trade control toolbox that the president has, uh, you know, it, under the U.S. system, the president has a lot of authority to impose those without Congress. So we've seen President Trump use those uh, those tools, and I would suspect that um, uh, President Biden will also use the full uh, executive branch toolkit that he has. I'd also expect him to work with Congress. And so you know, pending legislation on listing of Chinese companies uh, on uh, US uh, stock exchanges is an area where that could be expanded. He's likely to continue scrutiny of Chinese investments uh, through the CFIUS process. Uh, he's also likely to continue some of the uh, supply chain uh, uh, supply chain and clean network strategies that the Trump administration has started. So I don't expect uh, a Biden administration to have immediate changes in terms of the tools he uses, but what he might change is the inputs that he uses to come to those conclusions. And that process difference matters a lot for companies because whereas right now the Trump administration is very much reliant on a you know, it's a relatively small circle of advisors. I think what you'll see is that the Biden administration will uh, employ more of its embassies and consulates and uh, State Department and all of the civil servants that tend to make, uh, comprise U.S. foreign policy. And that means that there'll be more chances for companies to provide input on, um, on either current policies or upcoming policies and be able to shape uh, shape policy as it comes. And so it, you may see a more responsive uh, Biden-China policy, even if you're seeing a lot of the same mechanism being used to execute that strategy. Certainly, one of the chief complaints that many U.S. companies had against a lot of these uh, Trump-era restrictions on exports to Chinese entities was that these restrictions were unilateral in nature, and therefore they disadvantaged U.S. businesses and actually helped their competitors in, in other parts of the world. Uh, so with the Biden administration, you're saying that it is more likely to take into consideration this factor and perhaps then work with allies to coordinate their export control policies so that you'll have a more united front, so to speak, and you won't have a situation where the industry of one country, um, namely the, the United States, will take on the brunt of the business costs of, of these restrictions. It will be more shared evenly amongst US, the U.S. and its allies. I do. I, I, you know, I think that President Biden will want to work with allies and to coordinate policy responses. I think a Biden administration will be less likely to pick fights with uh, Canada and the EU and others, and maybe will be able to, uh, you know, maintain its focus on China a bit more in a way that the Trump administration, you know, it was kind of taking a scattershot approach sometimes on trade policy. And so that ended up meaning that it was less coordinated with allies. 
Okay, so what advice do you have for compliance officers of uh, multinationals and foreign companies in Asia? The, the compliance officers in Asia will continue to have a complicated job. You know, I think that uh, export controls on dual-use technologies will, have, is, will be a, a huge area of focus. Um, continued sanctions will mean that um, financial institutions and others will have to be very careful about who is uh, using their financial services as those sanctions continue. And then corporate governance and uh, you know, people monitoring the supply chain, there will both be uh, efforts from the uh, compliance from a government perspective and probably pressure from shareholders and other stakeholders uh, to have a clean supply chain uh, as public opinion dictates. And what about for lawyers like yourself? You know, what, what, is the, what, what do you expect uh, moving forward in terms of your workload? Uh, well, I, I'm not scheduling any vacations yet. I, I certainly expect to be very busy as I have been this year. And as you know, my, my entire law firm has been incredibly busy on trade issues, um, particularly as they relate to China, but really all over the world. Uh, and I do think we are in a always changing landscape in a volatile period, uh, no matter what. And so while there may be a little bit more normalcy in the Biden administration of how they create that policy, I do expect there to continue to be policies churned out based on, on events as they unfold and as they kind of come up to speed in, in how they want to approach the US-China relationship. And how are you thinking about the next two months, You know, which will be Trump's last two in office? Um, are you expecting some last minute executive actions uh, in terms of export controls or sanctions towards China? And what advice are you giving your clients and their compliance teams about how to face uh, these next two months? Yeah, I, I think you know normally at the end of uh, a, a president's term, the, the lame duck period is a relatively quiet one as uh, you know transition teams come in and everyone turns off the lights and they don't want to do something that whether they want want to give the next administration credit or want to give them a headache one way or another. Uh, but I think we can expect uh, more fireworks from the, the Trump administration. There are certainly those within the administration that believe that some of these more hardline policies towards China need to be done under uh, President Trump because they don't believe that a Biden administration would um, pursue pursue policies that uh, you know, in, in the Trump administration officials' eyes uh, are necessary. And so I do think we'll see further actions. I think we'll see further sanctions um, you know, in Hong Kong and, and perhaps in China. I think there could be further tightening of export control rules. And then depending on what happens in the next couple of months, it may be driven by events as well. But I would uh, encourage compliance officers, you know, the, uh, the, the joke is, you know, that in a risk-based compliance approach, you don't you don't need to be faster than the bear. You need to be faster than the other guy outrunning the bear. And so that means to be constantly updating your compliance policies, to be aware of the of the rules as they come out, so that your compliance policy is stronger than everyone else. Um, and and you know OFAC and others might uh, will find yours to you won't have the violations that will draw attention from OFAC. Okay. Well, Ben, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. With me now to discuss what this might all mean for international dispute resolution and white-collar enforcement is Holly Blackwell, an international disputes partner at King & Wood Madison's based in Shanghai. Holly, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Thank you, Vincent. It's a pleasure to be here on China Law Podcast. I want to start by asking you, as an American lawyer uh, in, in China, 
you know, what's the reaction been of Chinese and foreign lawyers in Shanghai to the U.S. election result? Well, first, I think we were all glued to our TVs and news feeds on election day in the coming days, um, waiting for results. I think now that things have settled, um, most most lawyers expect or accept that president-elect will be Joe Biden, and then we will have a Biden administration in the White House in January. I think the reaction to that is what I would call pragmatic optimism. I think it's pragmatic because most lawyers involved in the U.S.-China space don't expect a significant departure from U.S. policy on China. But I think lawyers are optimistic that a Biden administration will bring a more palatable tone and, more importantly, more predictability about U.S. policy and how it is implemented. I think during the Trump administration, lawyers and clients were sometimes caught by surprise by some of the actions taken by the Trump administration. Lawyers expect to have a better idea of what is coming in terms of policy and how it manifests, even if that policy means that the U.S. will continue to take a tough stance on China. It's really about anticipating and managing legal and commercial risk. Okay, and so do you think that the Trump administration will continue using export controls and sanctions to further its foreign policy goals? And if so, how do you think this might affect your your practice and your, your clients? Yes, I expect the Biden administration will continue to advance policy goals for the use of export controls and sanctions. Um, the Biden administration will inherit a robust sanctions and export controls regime. As I mentioned, the Trump administration has been very active in the use of sanctions and export controls. Um, according to one study I read, more than 3,500 sanctions designations were made under the Trump administration, um, which was more than double the number of measures taken by Obama in his first term. One of the questions for the Biden administration will be whether to retain those those designations or whether to re-engage in negotiations or ease certain sanctions in exchange for commitment or conduct that uh, achieves the Biden administration's foreign policy goals. I wouldn't expect, however, a significant reevaluation or reset of sanctions immediately after uh, President-elect Biden comes into office. I think his first and foremost priority will be getting COVID under control and working to get the U.S. economy back on track. With respect to general policy on sanctions, I think the general consensus is that we expect to see a more multilateral approach um, to sanctions under a Biden administration. We continue to hear the word uh, multilateralism associated with a Biden administration. We've used it in this discussion. What that means is I think that we will see the administration working more with stakeholders and with countries in developing more focused policy objectives that sanctions are expected to address. Um, recall that President-elect Biden was heavily involved in the JCPOA. And that deal was a result of ramp up of Obama era sanctions against Iran. With respect to export controls, we expect to see a continued focus on national security vis a vis technology and telecommunications and semiconductor companies. One departure we may see um, from the current administration and one of the issues we've had with the current administration is a refusal to engage in a technical dialogue on, on solutions or a mitigation plan to address issues of national security. Um, we've seen it with Chinese telecom companies and semiconductor companies. 
One of the problems with this is, from a U.S. perspective, is that it ignores, for example, in the case of an application to land a subsea cable system in the U.S., it ignores that U.S. data will continue to flow to foreign countries through other subsea cable systems, regardless of whether the application is denied. We may see from a Biden administration more of a willingness to engage in a dialogue about technical solutions and a mitigation plans that would allow the U.S. to address its national security issues and to control sensitive goods, technology, and data, um, but still allow commerce and the projects and the transactions to take place. So you mentioned a, a more multilateral approach moving forward, uh, which generally seems to be the consensus amongst uh, lawyers and, and as well as investors about what to expect from a Biden administration moving forward. And so in your view, for a multinational or for a Chinese company, might this increase the likelihood of a, of a multi-jurisdictional investigation? Well, I think it's a natural consequence of multilateralism that we would see increased cooperation amongst regulators and prosecutors internationally. I think the more important point is that under a Biden administration, we are expecting to see more in terms of regulatory enforcement activity. The Trump administration has been very active in regulating through executive administrative actions, such as the expansions of sanctions and the addition of companies to the entity list. With a Biden administration, we are expecting to see more in terms of white-collar investigations and enforcement. We expect to see a return of career government lawyers to some of the key agencies. And I think we will see them pursue investigations and enforcement where they believe there have been potential breaches of law. And I think that they will do that without the intervention from um, the president. In terms of areas of focus for white-collar enforcement, I think we will see increased enforcement of fraud and bribery claims. I think we will also continue to see a focus on trade secret theft and economic industrial espionage. I think what this means for clients is that it continues to underscore the importance of having um, robust and effective uh, compliance programs in place and ensuring that those programs are being enforced. Okay, so Holly, final question. What practical advice do you have for a Chinese or a foreign company moving forward? Um, for example, in terms of how they conduct their due diligence, you know, their contractual negotiations, or, you know, given that you're a disputes lawyer, what about specific clauses that you'd, you'd suggest? Um, with respect to practical advice, um, I think that my advice would be probably consistent with what I expect most companies are already doing. Um, I think as a first priority, I think it's important to go back and review the contracts and review force majeure clauses and make sure that those clauses are clear and sufficiently convey how the parties intend to allocate risk. I think what we've seen from the pandemic is that the way that force majeure clauses are applied and the law on force majeure varies very widely by jurisdiction. So it's important that the text of the contract really sufficiently conveys how the parties have agreed to allocate risk. I think with 
Chinese parties and foreign parties that are doing business with U.S. companies or other companies with some sort of U.S. nexus, I think they will continue to see and see increasingly um, clauses in their contracts that require them to make representations and warranties about compliance with U.S. Uh, economic sanctions and export controls laws and policies. So I think that clients will need to to be to anticipate that and understand what those represent. Mean. Great. Well, Holly, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Vincent, for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you to both Holly Blackwell from KWM and Ben Kuschever from Hogan Lovells. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, ChinaLawAndPractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest Chinese legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. We're having a break, so there will not be an episode next week. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening.